G'day, this is Scott. And this is Marty. Welcome to this episode of Church Unchained. Today, we talk to Peter Brandjapon about the movement that is seeing church leaders hold sit-ins in politicians' offices. And we hear a little bit about an Australian example of sanctuary that saw 1,600 people not deported back to their country of origin. Um, my name's <coughs> Peter Brandjapon, and among other things, I am helping to coordinate um, Love Makes Away in Queensland. Can you please tell us what Love Makes Away is? Um, Love Makes Away is a network of Christians who are passionate about seeking justice for people seeking asylum. Where did Love Makes Away sort of spring up from? As the legend goes, um, <laughs> Love Makes Away was a bit of a one of those ideas, good ideas you had at the pub with your friends. Yeah, um, it was a bunch of friends who have all been involved in some sort of uh, non-violent uh, direct action um, around different issues. Um, but very committed to their <coughs> Christian faith, and I think at the time the government had just produced the wonderful uh, Norway, you will not call Australia home poster with the yeah. dramatic boat, and people faith were very angry about about that. And yeah, I think they were kind of joking about you know the poster says Norway. Wouldn't it be funny or wouldn't it be good for the post another poster to say love makes a way? Yeah, thankfully it, it became a reality and. The first action was planned uh, for Sydney, and yeah, it's one of those things, one of those hashtags that, that took, yeah, you know. It's kind of taken off. Yeah, yeah. Well, you talk about the first action in Sydney. What, what kind of actions, like, what are we talking about here? So basically, following the tradition of um, people like Martin Luther King and Gandhi, it was about uh, bringing attention to, to an issue that doesn't get enough time in our media, or at the time anyway, at least in, in the in a positive light. Um, yeah, so basically the idea is to um, respectfully and, and politely try and engage with a politician. Basically, Love Makes a Way's idea is to actually let's let's go into a politician's office and let's just say we've written so many times, we haven't heard back, or if we've heard back, it's it's not been a, you know, no one's really wanting to engage with us. Yeah. We're at the point where as, as believers and as clergies, we want to come in and we want to, basically ask for the children to be released, you know, because... So there's children that are being held in detention? Yeah, in, in, at, at the beginning, and now we've kind of moved a little bit away from, not away from that, but grown a little bit in our ask, but at, in the very beginning it was what we believe was a very um, achievable yeah. and re- totally reasonable thing, you know, regardless of what they, their parents have done. I mean, yeah. that's, you know, you can have different views of that, but to lock up children in, in those conditions is just immoral. Um, so that's our ask, and yeah, basically praying and often sing and yeah, read scriptures together, and, and that's quite the whole thing's quite spiritual. So is, that, is, that a, I mean, is that a surreal kind of experience to be sitting oh. in a politician's office reading scripture and you know, sharing <laughs> cookies and oh. praying and you know, singing? How great the art or something on it. Is it weird? Is it? It's really awesome. <laughs> it's really wonderful. <laughs> yeah, and so I, because I'm not a clergy, I haven't really been, you know, right in the centre of it. I've been around helping with stuff, and um, but even others who are not inside the office, we'd be outside doing the, the liturgy as well, and, and for people walking past, I mean, it's freaky for other people. <laughs> what are you guys doing here? And how um, do people react to it? Oh, we get all sorts. Hey, like um, some people 
some people are super positive, you know, they, they've heard about it, and if they, they haven't, they come and chat to us, and, you know, and then you've got the usual people driving past and yelling beers at us, and, you know, which is, I think is always a sign that you're doing something good, <laughs> <laughs> especially in certain suburbs. Yeah, in certain electorates. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> But then there's been times where we've actually been able to minister to people because there's a, a few people in their collars and yeah. so they know it's a religious thing. First of all, they, they know that we're the, the kind of people who care about, about issues. And I remember having one, one woman come up to us at Peter Dutton's office and started talking about how wonderful what we're doing is and then just started sharing a life story yeah. with yeah. us and asking for prayer. You know, and yeah. we're like, yes, that's what we're doing anyway. So <laughs> just add another on the list. Um, which was wonderful, you know, yeah. to be able to do that in, in public. I think that's been really good for for my faith personally, but also for um, for the public. And, and one of the clergy's actually said it's, it's really helped him in the way he sees ministry as well, you know, uh, literally being praying and praising God and, and you know, worshipping outside together for something that's really current, you know, really real. What's been the reaction from politicians and their staff? Overall, people get what we're trying to do, and I'll get into specifics later on, but, you know, there's been some positive responses in terms of people saying, okay, we understand you care and this is, this is a great thing you're doing. But the problem is they're all having to tow the party line, you know, on both sides, unfortunately. And um, so at the end of the day, we've had a lot of... Um, Basically, just black wall, you know, just like we can't engage with you on this, and and you know, you know our policies, and this is. I think there's, I think Richard Miles had actually accepted um, a meeting with with Love Makes Away, and I've seen footage of that, which is encouraging. But again, they didn't go anywhere. The worst we had was, as people probably know, was at Julie Bishop's office, where um, we don't know what happened, like where the order had come from, but. Um, it was the only time where not only people were clergies and, and believers were, were um, detained, but they were actually strip searched. Um, that's something which is unheard of for this sort of non-violent, respectful, yeah. prayerful action, and it was definitely a, a mistake on, on the police. Um, we we believe because um, it actually brought more media attention, yeah, which yeah. is what they don't want, you know. So yeah. whoever ordered it. I don't, I don't know. We, we still don't know what happened, but um, but the, the guys in Perth are amazing. They they were able to turn that situation around and and use it for even more uh, activism, which is great. Yeah, yeah. Has anyone been charged? As as far as we know, um, no one has been charged. Um, as far as we know, there's only been a fine or that sort of stuff. Um, most of the people, like I can I can definitely speak for Brisbane anyway. We've um, Police are very, they're very awesome. I'd have to say, Queensland police, as far as love makes worse concerned, we've probably had one of the most respectful um, police forces to work with in Australia for love makes away actions. Um, in super respectful, gentle, and un- totally understanding what we're trying to do. And it's always been the case of um, uh, removing us from from the office and and. Um, Taking our names, but then, but then just letting us go afterwards, just given that we don't reoffend on again um, on that day. I was going to say, what happens I, I think, if we do? <laughs> I, I think that's the idea. Yeah, um, but yeah, so so far we haven't. The idea is we, we don't 
we don't resist arrest per se, so it's, we haven't had to be carried out or anything like that. And, and that's that's a, I guess a group decision that each group makes or individually people make, um, because we we don't want it to seem chaotic. We want it to be very very disciplined, and, that, and that's the main thing that I think has going for us, especially with with Christians. You know, that's that's honestly that's who we are trying to win over, as well as the public, but but as far as Christians are concerned, like. We don't want the kind of angry, definitely not non-violent, but we we just prayerful and, and gentle and you know because it's it's not really about us and you can't take anything personally and it's it's really about bringing attention to to what's going on. And Is it always clergy? Generally, yeah, we um and identifiably clergy. Yeah, and, and actually <laughs> a bit too let you in on a secret, but one of the one of the ministers. Um, Ken Baker, he, he actually ne- has never worn a, a collar in his life until his first love makes away. Actually, didn't even own one. Because, <laughs> as you know, different traditions have, have different um, uniforms, I guess you yes. could say. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it, it is a visual thing, and especially when you've got cameras, and, and the idea is is to... And people respect the collar, you know, sort of rightly or wrongly. But, like, for me as a layperson, you know, I, I think it's, it's a really powerful message to see someone... First, you know, identifying themselves as as a Christian, but also as a Christian leader. And honestly, I mean, the church is not blameless when it comes to um, abuse of children. So it is it is a risk, and I think it's gutsy for for clergy to do that. And I really respect people who are standing up for this. Yeah. What what would we call this nonviolent protest or this, you know, civil disobedience, or what? Like, is there a connection with the kind of the Christian heritage? Where are some of the principles that you talked about come from? Yeah, we, we like to, I suppose, name drop Martin Luther King. <laughs> Not about name <laughs> And, yeah, so, so the traditions that, we're, that we really, like, consciously follow would, would be the, um, the civil rights movement. And a lot of the way that we, we say things, you can, it's pretty much copied, <laughs> um, borrowed from that movement. Um, learned, let's call it learned. Yeah, learned, yeah. learned. Um, and guys like Jared McKenna and locally, um, you know, I mean, people like Dave Andrews have been involved in actions for the past 20, 30 years. We've got people from uh, the Catholic tradition, um, Father Terry Fitzpatrick, who has actually been involved with some other actions that we may be talking about later on. Um, but I mean, Jesus. I guess <laughs> if you want to go back to another good name, name drop another big name. Um, the the kind of powerful but gentle spirit that he talks about, um, and I guess being being willing to to suffer for for what's right, um, but never using force or or, um, or violence. Yes, I guess we we see it as a. As a, as a, you could say, like a third way to the to the whole situation. And, you know, you've got people who are very anti asylum seekers. You've got people who are talking about open borders and things like that. Which there's different views, um, even within Love Makes a Way, in, in that spectrum. And we don't kind of dictate, you know, who released what on, on, on what issue. But there's things that we can agree on is that you know, locking up children is definitely a no. <laughs> Um, and as and as Christians who are who want to live Jesus in the world, how do we speak um, compassion and, and decency into that situation without putting most of the population off? You know, and I think finding that 
that way to say, you know, how, how do we, what do we do as Christians that's unique, you know, and I think praying and, and worshipping and, yeah, I guess intervening, but in, in a, in a respectful way is something that, that we've been doing, able to do really well. Yeah. I'm going to play devil's advocate for a second. Oh. <laughs> and wait for that wait ambulance. For yeah. That's my <laughs> They're not coming here. No. That's no. my siren. <laughs> um, we, we, I mean, we're in agreement that children should not be kept in detention. But what does Love Make Away want to happen with the kids' parents? Is the intention that the parents are also released? And is that one of the points where the government's like not willing to compromise on releasing parents of the children? Yeah, and that's always been one of the things that people say, you know, oh, so what, you're just going to take the kids away from the parent? It's like, well, of course not. And, you know, the idea, I guess, in, in a... And the sitting, you know, in a political action, you know, when you go to a march and, and you know, you need you need an idea to be super precise. You know, you don't want to go, what do we want? Yeah. You know, amendment to the blah blah blah. You can't you can't have this like you know, hundred word essay as an ask. And so the ask that people can as a buy in, I guess, for, for most people is that yes, children, that's that's wrong. So um, and I guess as the movement grew and the questions, you know, and, and we had to get more nuanced with our, with our message. Um, it's about children and their families. And at the end of the day, really, and, and, and if we're honest with ourselves, it's not illegal to seek asylum, you know, and, and as a signatory to the UN Refugee Convention, we're actually obligated to, to fulfil that. Um, you know, I remember years ago, I, I was saying, Maybe if, she, if we don't believe in it, maybe we as a country should just unsign it or something, you know, and, and then maybe we wouldn't have so many protests, you know, we could just go, well, we unsign it, you know. Um, but the reality is we, we are obligated to, but we're not fulfilling that obligation. And is that a potential that we could unsign the Refugee Convention? I, I don't know, and, and I hope it's just a silly joke that, that I came up with. Um, but I think it's about... It's about being honest, you know, and I think that's that's what's lacking. And the thing about about our, our approach is we want the truth, you know, because it's not always the truth about about this issue in the media or from the government, and and, and we just want to be careful about about that. We want we want people to be able to find out the truth, and you know, we often network with different people who, who have alternative sources of news, it's really hard to get information and that's one of the things that there's not much transparency coming out of those places. Um, and half the problems that we've had in the past few years with, you know, people getting killed in detention or, or violence against women, you know, sexual violence, I think it's, it's happened because of the, the lack of transparency in the system, you know, and it doesn't need to be there, you know, even if, even if you believe in incarcerating people you know, they get, there are actually other ways of doing it better or better ways of processing people quickly, that sort of stuff. You're listening to the Church Unchained podcast. We're talking to Peter Brangerporn, and coming up, he's going to tell us about an example of sanctuary that has happened in Australia that we had never heard of before. Well, we heard um, Greg Blake, who was part of the group who set up Naru and Manus, and He's since, in the last few years, pulled himself out of that and said, because of his Christian faith, he can't mm. stand back and 
not say anything anymore and has mm. been pretty vocal publicly about how bad those two yeah. detention centres are particularly and, and the whole point of them being worse than the place people were escaping and that was that's sort of embedded and then earlier this year we had the sanctuary movement kick in in Australia when mm. there were what was it 267 asylum seekers who were in Australia who were threatened with deportation um, and we you know in Brisbane we saw the huge sit-in I guess prayer vigil for baby Asher at, at Lady Salento so let's talk about sanctuary what is sanctuary I have to say I hadn't heard about what sanctuary was until until that was Race as a possibility. And from what I understand is that it's a Christian tradition in medieval times when a place of worship would, would offer, I suppose, a place of safety um, for, and I have to be careful how I say this, I think for people who were, what, what, the, what the priest or, or that, that faith community believed for people who, who they believe to be uh, wrongly accused, I suppose. Um, hopefully they didn't harbour anyone who was actually <laughs> should have been arrested um, for the right reasons. But um, yeah, so I would say in a similar situation where people might be running from persecution or that sort of stuff and, and they would actually offer a place of safety. And, and I believe back in the day it was actually... Um, yeah, the powers that be actually not allowed to enter those places and pull those people out um, legally. You know. So it was a, a physical kind of yeah, space, a church. That's right, yeah, or church ground or whatever. That in a sense was protected from... That's right, yeah. it was, it's a literal sense, a physical sanctuary, you could say. Um, and it was a physical barrier um, which is legally protected, you know. Yeah, what happened post-Lady Salento is... Um, Peter Cat, um, Dean of um, St John's Cathedral, you know, coming out and saying, you know, the doctors have done it. The doctors have, as in effect, um, offered sanctuary for someone like like Baby Asha in a hospital, you know, albeit more of a political one rather than a physical, because there's no, there's nothing really stopping the guards from coming in, going in and grabbing her, but it's more this this political. Um, yeah, that would be seen. Yeah, more of a political barrier, I suppose, around her. And and then, you know, you've heard the state premiers come out and say, hey, actually, we, we welcome these people, you know. <laughs> and I think all states in the end, or almost all states, um, and I was thinking about Australia, if you look at the map and you mark off the states one at a time, say, sanctuary, well, you know, you can say here, yep, you can say here, you're welcome. The city councils come out and say that, you know, um, we've got... Um, Unions, you know, workers um, who, uh, especially in some somewhere like Lady Salento Hospital, where staff are involved, you know, and and I think that's why mainly the unions are there to support the staff and support them, of course. And so when you look at the whole spectrum of teachers, you know, um, it, it kind of made sense for the church to go. Actually, yeah, we're we're into this too. And um, but the church, I think, has a unique place in that mix because of of its standing in society and you know so many ministers supposedly or at least verbally say they're, they're uh, follow Jesus in some way and Christians and, and so being the church um, I think it's a huge one for us to go 
you know, as far as church leaders are concerned, or you know, church, there's, there's churches around Australia now saying, yeah, we'd be willing to um, to host a, a, an asylum seeker and, and protect them from from deportation. And, um, particularly, I'm pretty sure um, that this offer is, is limited to to this these two six seven in particular, as far as the Churches Refugee Task Force is concerned. Um, and that's that's the situation we're looking at because it's because um, there are so so many legal implications for everyone involved. Um, basically, what are some of the legal implications? Well, as far as I know, um, Peter Cut himself has said he could be jailed for two years for for doing this. Um, for making St John's. Yeah. Sanctuary. Yes. Yes. And and which is not dissimilar to um, with any whistleblower really from from um, Manasaur any detention centres as far as I know, um, any other health workers or... So the legal implications, my understanding is, um, the legal implications fall back on the individuals providing the sanctuary, not the institution of the church. As far as I know, it's... And in all the communications I've heard, it's, it's very much, yeah, individuals at this stage, which... Um, That's a big risk for, <laughs> it's massive for some risk. people. <laughs> and, and for those of us who... who um, support the idea as well. I, I don't know how far it goes, you know, like yeah. even in our, you know, we've had training and things like that. And yeah, we, we don't kid ourselves when we say, hey, if you want to be involved, just, just um, know that, you know, you're, you're part of it. <laughs> and, and we don't do this lightly. It's, it's serious and, and it's last resort. But has it actually, has it actually happened? Like a, has a, an asylum seeker accepted this offer of sanctuary? If we speak practically about it, I mean, what's happened this year? Uh, we've made the offer, we stand up, and that's really important. What's the practicalities around around what's happened? Yeah, we we've talked a lot about this in um, in our trainings that we've had. Um, from what we've seen, it, it doesn't seem like um, the government's interested in any alternative, but this yeah, making these places more hellish than where people come come from. And the thing you remember is there's a big risk for asylum seekers themselves, and they they're the ones that we have to think about the most, yes. you know. So what are the risks? What's the risk for asylum seekers? Uh, as far as I know, I think if it's a tricky one because I don't think in Australia it's it's there's no cases for it where it's not successful. I suppose it would be viewed very negatively on their case. I can only yeah. imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, and the legal, uh, I'm not a legal expert, so. Um, so, so basically, you're so suggesting that if an asylum seeker, if someone who is seeking asylum is then seen to have kind of accepted this offer of sanctuary, made a big deal out of it, been on the news, that their application for asylum might be impacted by that? That's is that is that the kind of what? That's always that would be the worst case scenario. Yeah, okay. yeah, um, yeah, and that's a risk. Again, we need we need to be able to make that risk really clear to the asylum to people, to yeah. the person seeking asylum and their family and and. Yeah, more, more often than not, we'd say if you, if you don't really want to do it, there's no way we're going to do it. You know. So I think you use the words, you know, it's a it's a last resort. Oh, total total last resort. Yeah, yeah. And e- even before that, if there's a list long list of stuff that we need to go through. Like, if a person's case, someone who's going to be involved in this, we have to be a hundred percent sure that their country of origin is actually unsafe. Um, but if there's any weakness in their case, then we can't really be involved in that, you know. Ideally, we never have to get to that stage, and that it's it's about the public showing support, and there's 
enough um, yeah. resistance to the system and, and goodwill in the community for it to work. You can look at the, at the statistics and the money we've spent on the system, it's, it doesn't make sense, even economically. There's, there's, no, there's no argument um, for this, for this um, cruelty that, that, that stands out. It's billions and millions of dollars a year, and, um, and that's a cost that we know about, you know what I mean? Mm. What about a cost that we don't know about? Um, and and um, yeah, I just, it just blows your mind, like, especially when people say, especially with this recent election, you know, this anti-immigrant, um, anti-asylum seeker, even anti-refugees now, um, uh, rhetoric about you know how our, our country can't afford it. You know this 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 um, this myth that um, not just humanitarian programs, but but this detention program where um, we're just throwing money into these um, prisons that are actually producing mental health patients. <laughs> it's it's laughable, really. Um, when when none of this has has to happen, that, that money could be could easily be setting up um, refugee services, which is already, you know, short, uh, underfunded in Australia. What is the precedent in Australia for people seeking sanctuaries? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Basically, it was in 1991, Indonesian soldiers opened fire to a crowd of unarmed demonstrators without warning, 200 were shot dead. And so over the years, the weeks, months, and years following, 1,650 East Timorese fled to Australia by boat. This was back in the 90s. And um, the Australian government um, rejected the, the, the appeals for asylum. Um, and there's political reasons for that. Um, the only people who would offer them protection was basically the church. And there's 17 predominantly Catholic congregations and organisations from across the country who offered them sanctuary. They call themselves a Christian sanctuary movement. And their statement is that they challenge the government in the name of freedom sacred to Australians to reverse policy against Eastern Marines refugee applicants. We make this declaration in the knowledge that the offer of sanctuary is firmly rooted in our Christian tradition and theology. If all avenues of appeal should be exhausted, our group faces a high moral obligation to consider the offer of sanctuary to Eastern Marines resisting deportation. They started with a 30-day candlelight vigil in Sydney. Um, Sister Kath O'Connor, um, a nun who was, who was head of the Christians in Solidarity in East Timor, was kind of providing the leadership, and it involved Church in Brisbane, uh, Father Kennedy, Father Peter Kennedy, and Father Terry Fitzpatrick from St Mary's, South Brisbane, and the Brisbane Catholic Worker community, who were uh, yeah closely involved in, in that makes a way as well. Um, yeah, basically they could all face prison and for the next four years the sanctuary movement met, prayed together and organised and, you know, used the media and stuff. And I don't know how much media attention it got, maybe not much, I'm not sure. Um, so what happened? What happened was not, no one was deported. Okay. 16, 650 remain. The cases remain unresolved um, because in 1999 the East Timor is voted for independence under the UN. And in the years following their independence, the Australian government actually started preparing for deportations because, like, oh, the country's safe now, you know, apparently. Um, so you could say that's the second time because then, then they went into action again and they um, 
a petition of 40,000 signatures um, asking for them to be able to stay. That's what happened and they were actually able to stay. Mm-hmm. And that's a purely, I, I don't know the physical workings of it. Um, I've never heard of any um, attempted um, deportations. No, I think politically it worked. And I think this is the sort of thing that we're, that we're talking about where, where there's enough public support for something different to happen. Yeah, and it's, you know, we're not talking about half a million people like yeah. like from Syria, you know, like it's compared to the rest of the world. It's such a, such a minute amount and we're making such a big deal out of it. Um, I've been reading about Mexicans in, in America who've had sanctuary um, offered to them. There's a story of a lady called Rosa who... Um, um, was in sanctuary for 461 days at a Presbyterian church in America and and then um, basically negotiated with the with the department for her being able to stay in in, um, in America with her family because she's got a family and they were going to deport her you know um, I just think it's it's amazing that that um, there's Christians out there willing to risk going to jail for this I've got to say, I struggled to be in church for an hour, so the thought of being there for 461 <laughs> days is kind of freaking me out. Um, Peter, one last question. Um, you know, and I guess this is the way we kind of always try and finish these conversations. For for people involved in their local church or for people who are listening to this podcast who are, who are trying to think about the connection between their faith and this kind of action, what, what's one or two simple beginning steps for them? Start talking to your your friends and your family about it. The biggest um, thing that we've found is that for, for us and that makes way, sometimes it's easier to talk to journalists and politicians and, and um, you know, staff in their offices than to talk to our own family, you know. And that, that's been the biggest um, challenge for us in that, you know, ordinary Australians and believers are the ones who will who will actually change policy, you know, because yeah. politicians at the end of the day listen to their electorate. And yeah. if we don't start with our family, then, you know, then who's going to do it, really? Like, you know, it, it's it's the hardest thing to do, but I think I think we need to make an effort. So there's going to be some interesting Christmas lunch conversations. Yeah, know, look, I mean... Politics, religion, kind of all in the same conversation. Ah, <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, mix it up. <laughs> Why not? But also... Um, Definitely, if people want to find out more about Love Makes Away, you can find us on Facebook. And um... Peter, thanks so much for stopping in uh, and hanging out on the couch with us today and exploring what is uh, clearly a you know a very complex uh, kind of issue, but um, for sharing uh, sort of stories and wisdom. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Church Unchained. We want to invite you to join the conversation with us. Why not join us on Twitter at UCAQLD or use the hashtag Church Unchained. How else can people join in, Marty? You can also jump onto the UnitingChurch.Queensland Facebook page and join the conversations there. And again, if you have any dangerous or innovative ideas that you want to share with us, email us at communications at UCAQLD.com.au. And join us next time at Church Unchained.